Kawatahanui Kōpanga Te Moana, Ko Northern Star Te Waka. He tangata o te tiriti ahau. Ko Minaline Carey, tōku huarangatira. Ko Nat Carey ahau. Nō reira, tenakoto katoa. Hey everyone, I'm Nat. That was a bit of who I am through my, my pipiha, and, and part of what I said was uh, Minaline or Mini is my wife, for those of you who may not have met her. And also that my waka is the Northern Star, or one of the ways that my family came to be in New Zealand in 1964. Took them six weeks, and my granddad... How old, how old was my granddad? My age? About that. And he was promised a job, and six months later, and then six weeks on a boat later, he arrived in Wellington. They completely forgotten about who he was. And he had a four-year-old, my mum, and a one-and-a-half-year-old, and like, what am I going to do for work? But luckily they gave him a job anyway. It's pretty adventurous, eh? We think going across the world is adventurous, but we can do it in like 24 hours. <laughs> cool. So do you want to hear a story before I start? I like stories. So um, we've, I've been building a bit of a, a relationship, a bit of a friendship with a local business owner down near the offices, and a few of us have from church. And over the course of about a year, we've been having some really good chats and talking about deep stuff. And she wouldn't say um, that she's a follower of Jesus, but she's open to spiritual things and, and talking them through. And the other, the other week, um, God just gave me this cracking prophetic word for her, just the kind of prophetic word that just made me excited. I was like, I can't wait to share this. And then I completely forgot what it was. Like, it just went out of my head. And for weeks, I was like, God, it was so good. Give it back to me. And I just couldn't remember what it was. And so um, I wanted to write her a card. I just felt that was what I was supposed to do. And so I got a card um, and started and was like, I'm going to write it this afternoon. God, you've got to tell me what you said. And I had just nothing, absolutely nothing. And I felt God say, just start writing and I'll give you um, what you're supposed to say. So I just started writing this card and it was you know, thank you for your friendship, but then it was also just encouraging her and, and her life and the things I see in her that are, that are good, that are gold, and then just encouraging her with a few kind of prophetic insights and things that I kind of felt from the Spirit to write as well about her life. And so I went to see her, and um, we only had like 10 or 15 minutes together because I had to go to a hospital appointment and had the sealed envelope in my hand. And in 10, to 15, 10 or 15 minutes, we just had this chat that went super deep really fast, and we were talking about forgiveness and about how you've got to forgive other people otherwise it can be like a disease that just eats you up and you've got to let yourself go and forgive yourself for things you've done and I had this really deep chat and I just kind of couldn't help but smile and at the end of this chat I just said to her I've got to run but um, here's a card for you I think this is going to make a lot more sense after our chat today um, because the things we've been talking about was some of the stuff was in the letter that I had written which is pretty cool um, and I didn't see her for a week and then a week later um, I said hey how's it going and she said we need to chat about that card. And I said, yes, yes, we do. <laughs> and um, we just chatted some more. And she was saying, how did you know some of that stuff? How did you come to write that stuff down? And, um, and she'd been kind of getting it out during the week and reading it when she felt she just needed something to kind of, you know, she was in a place where she said, I need to read this again, what, what was written. And it just opened up a, even more of a conversation around um, life and spirituality. And I was able to share a bit about how Jesus is, wants to bring us life to the full. It's not about religious control. It's about... It's about um, life and living it to the full and about his forgiveness. And while we're having this conversation, another lady walks in and is chatting with us and she's got um, jandals on and it's really cold. And uh, she can't wear shoes because she's had a blood disease for about, I think it was about 18 or 16 years. And it's, there's like a big thing on her foot that means she can't wear shoes. So I just said to her, hey, can I pray for you? So I just put a hand on, my on her shoulder and pray for healing for her. And not sure exactly if anything happened right then. Um, hopefully I'll see her again. 
And she just shared a bit to me about how she just come back to the Lord two months ago and how he was providing through some really tough circumstances. And then we say goodbye to her and I go back to the first conversation and it just rolls on about God and and deep things. And it's just so encouraging to step out and see what God will do. And I guess my encouragement to you guys is that this kind of stuff is happening on a weekly basis in our church now. God is, is meeting people in love and in power every week through us, different people, and people are getting blown away by it. And my kind of question to you is, do you want in? Do you want to be a part of this? Because it's not for one or two. It's for the whole church to, to step out and to see God move in love and in power to the people around them. So that's my question. Are you in? Do you want to be in? Anyway, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. So let's, let's talk about this morning. Another message for another time. So this morning I want to follow on from Pete's talk last week about generosity and about the gift day. And, uh, and I want to look at generosity and I want to talk a bit about money. But generosity is one of the five culture words that we want to define us as a church. So that's generosity, authenticity, courage, inclusiveness, and honor. And we kind of went through a process to say this is what we want to define us as a church, um, the way we deal with one another, the way we deal with the world around us. And we're going to talk about money. We don't talk about money a lot as a church. I don't know if you've been around long enough to notice that, but we just don't. And I think a lot of that is a reaction to not wanting to talk about it in a way that's controlling or manipulative or with shame, as can be misused and can be misused in churches. So we tend to not talk about it very much, but actually that's not all that healthy either because we need to talk about things that are important and affect our lives. And by some calculations, some people have calculated in the gospel, one out of 10 verses are about money directly. So that's about 288 verses uh, in the gospels, which is quite a lot. Why is it so important to Jesus? Well, because he knows it's a very practical part of how we trust God and how we are disciples is what we do with our resources and our cash and and how we're generous to others. It's a really practical thing that actually affects our relationship with God. So you might feel a bit uncomfortable at this point. You might feel uncomfortable talking about money in church. And it might be, there are a few reasons why that might be. One of them might be is because you've had a really bad experience in the past where it's kind of been controlling and, and sort of shaming around giving. And if you have had that experience, um, I just want to say as someone who's part of a, a leadership team in a church, I'm sorry you've had that experience because that's not God's heart at all. His heart for us is to be free of that kind of stuff so that we can freely be generous with whatever comes our way and actually live an adventurous life where we step out and see God provide for us as we seek to be a blessing to others. That's his heart. And last week, Pete shared some amazing Amazing passage from a song that says this, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And that just, that hit me pretty hard at the time. I've been mulling on that all week, that in God's generosity, he would give his only son. That's like the biggest thing you could give to make me, who was a wretch, sinful, pitiful, despised, into his treasure. That never gets old. We can never plumb the depth of how, of how amazing that is. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It's about a generous father who has invited us into a relationship, and now we get to experience that and then reflect that with what we do. That's the foundation, is his generosity, and ours just flows from that. So I want to look at a passage from Mark. So if you've got your Bibles We're going to go to Mark chapter 12. Uh, We're going to get there in a moment. So we'll start from Mark 12, 37 when we do get there in a a sec. 
But the background to this is that Jesus has been on a bit of a journey with his disciples into Jerusalem. And he said to his disciples, we're going to go and I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be killed, and after three days I'm going to rise again. And then they make this journey to Jerusalem. So it's quite a, quite a big deal. The disciples are probably wondering, like, what's, you know, this is crazy, what's going to happen? And, and obviously Peter puts his foot in his mouth about the whole thing, and, and there's a lot happening. Jesus enters Jerusalem with adoring crowds who are like, Hosanna to the king, to the son of David. They're, they're, they're welcoming him into Jerusalem. But then Jesus goes into the temple, and he sees that the temple, which is supposed to be a place of holiness and worship, has become something different. He sees people who are extorting others with the selling of, of animals, and there's, there's money changing going on, and people are, being, um, people are making money off others who have come to sacrifice and to worship God. And in the book of, uh, of John, it says he made a whip out of cords, and he drove the money changers out of the temple courts, and he flipped over the tables in his anger. And he says this, You have made my father's house into a den of robbers, where it's meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. And I just think that's a really good lesson for us to learn as a church. You know, actually, as a church, we are individually and corporately the temple of God now, and we're supposed to be a place where we connect with God. We, we connect with our Heavenly Father, and we invite other people in. Actually, we don't want to be a church that extorts people for money or manipulates or controls people to try and get cash out of them. And I thank God that I've actually never been a part of a church like that. But if you have, and I know some of you have, because I know some of you, um, I just encourage you to work through what happened with that. Work through maybe some of the unforgiveness. There's people you might need to forgive, probably people of authority. There might be some pain in there, some lies that have come. There might be some ways that you see God as a reflection of past experiences. But actually, if you, if you open your heart and allow God to, you to deal with that stuff, and actually then you can freely respond to God with a generous heart when he calls you on an adventure when it comes to your money. And actually, uh, the Freedom Prayer Team would be a great place to go. If you want someone to pray with you through some of the things you've been through in the past, then uh, sign up for a Freedom Prayer Time and they'll just walk you through that very gently and help you to connect with God on that. So as we move from the scene, Jesus starts to teach in the temple about all sorts of topics. And we pick it up in verse 37. The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and in the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and, put, and watched the crowds putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, gave everything, put in everything, all she had to live on. Quite an amazing passage, actually. And one where Jesus contrasts two groups of people, the teachers of the law or the scribes and a poor widow. The teachers of the law, Jesus described as about being all about the outward. It's all about the best seats in the house. It's all about the flowing robes. It's all about you know, making lengthy prayers so people can see you that you look really holy. And actually, there's not a lot in here 
um, compared to other books, that, that uh, other Gospels, um, with Jesus' kind of treatment of the teachers of the law. But in Matthew, he spends a whole chapter on them, and he says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important things of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you stra- strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Not this, that. He goes on, he says, Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. That's some pretty, pretty strong words there from Jesus. He says that the teachers of the law are dead on the inside. On the outward, they look sussed, they look good. Everyone looks up to them and says, whoa, this is what it means to be holy. But actually, they've missed the issues of the heart. They gave a lot. They even, you know, they gave even to the point where they gave this tenth of their spices. But inside, they were dead and selfish and greedy. What was Jesus' assessment of them? People thought they were super godly. Jesus said, these men will be punished most severely. In contrast, Jesus then sits down and he watches people giving money to the temple. A poor widow shuffles up. She's probably dressed in rags. She's probably looking quite dejected. She's obviously very vulnerable and in financial need. And Jesus watches as she puts two small copper coins into the treasury and says that that was all she had to live on. Now, if you think about this in purely numbers sense, numbers terms, what a waste that she would give that. Like, what, what good is that going to do? Small, two small copper coins is going to do nothing to help the temple. She might as well not have even bothered. But what is Jesus' assessment of her? She put more into the treasury than all the others. That's what Jesus said about her. Uh, yeah, about her. To him, her act of generosity was worth more than ever of, of the rest of the crowds. Rich people gave out of her wealth. She gave out of her poverty all she had to live on. So what can we kind of learn here from from what Jesus is saying in this passage? Well, first of all, the obvious is that God is not interested in the outward. God is interested in the heart. And we see that from the contrast of the Pharisees. Pharisees were whitewashed tombs that were dirty inside, whereas the widow was probably looked poor and pitiful and struggling Yet on the inside, she was generous and was giving what she had to God. When it comes to our generosity, what we give with our time, our money, our resources, our emotions to others, God is not looking at always the kind of what you give. And in financial terms, he's not always looking at the dollars and cents, like how much did you give? He's actually looking at the heart, the heart through which you give. She gave more than all the others. In financial terms, her gift was nothing, but James Edwards, in a commentary on this book, he says this, in the divine exchange rate, things look differently. In the divine exchange rate, things look differently. Her gift was worth much more in heavenly currency than all the wealth of the crowds. Because it was an act of worship, which meant it was big to God, and so it counted a lot in God's books. It was an act of faith, and as we know, faith pleases God. So actually, when, you, when you're struggling, when you are 
um, time poor, money poor, resources poor, uh, capacity to just be with other people poor, when you feel like you're struggling in areas and you think, you know what, but I'm still going to give of myself, I'm going to do something here. Maybe you've got like the busiest week you have and you know a friend just needs like an evening for you to go around and spend time and pray and just be a support to them. But you're like, I've got no time, I am time poor. And yet you step out and you go, I want to do this. From my heart, I want to spend time with this person. God loves that. Maybe you're at the grocery, at the, at the shops, and uh, you know, you're struggling to pay groceries for your, your family. And you know, food is expensive. But then you see someone in front of you who is trying to buy groceries, and they, you know, they're embarrassed because they've got to the till and they haven't got the money to, to pay for it. And you're like, oh, I don't even have that much money for myself. But hey, I'm going to go and, and buy their groceries for them. That's, like, that's the act of generosity. And out of your kind of little and your struggle, you stepped out and blessed someone else. And God is like, that's a, such a great heart that you do that. Actually, when we do things like that, the beautiful aroma of our sacrifice rises up to God's happy face and it pleases him. And he's like, well done for stepping out like that. He loves it. And then he uses our little sacrifice, time, money, resources, love, whatever it might be. We might feel it's a little sacrifice. And in the divine exchange rate, he can use that little thing for big things. He can breathe on it, and suddenly it makes a big difference to all of eternity. And the effect of it can ripple right through eternity and change people's lives. That's the joy of walking with a big God, is that he just says, step out with what you've got. Like the widow, when Elijah said, she's like, I'm just going to make this last thing for me and my son, and then I'm going to die. And he said, just pour out that little bit and do it for me. And she did, and then suddenly she had more, and she had more. And God supernaturally blessed what she had. See, in contrast to that, actually, when you give begrudgingly because you think, oh, I should give, like, oh, there's a gift day, I probably should give because it's a thing I should do. I think God's opinion of that is, don't bother. 2 Corinthians 9.17 says, each one must give what he has decided in his heart, not under compulsion, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants to see a heart that's expressed with what you do. If the heart piece is missing, my encouragement would be press the stop button. Go away with God and say, God, where's my heart at with this? Why is my heart, am I struggling with generosity in general terms in my life? And let God unpick that and help to bring truth to you and help to bring a, um, a place where you can be, where you can just respond to him and the adventure he has for you in the area of your resources and capacity. But if you've got a heart to give, but you think, man, I'm time poor, money poor, capacity poor, relationships poor, but you think my heart is in the right place, with whatever is in front of you, I would encourage you just to go for it and see God bless and breathe on what you can give, um, either for the gift day or, or just your life in general. James Edwards again, he says this, no gift, whether money, time or talent, is too insignificant to give if it's given to God. And what is truly given to God, regardless of how small or insignificant, is transformed into a pearl of great price. How cool is that? You step out with a small thing, even a smile, God can use that if you do it for him, and he can turn it into a pearl of great price. And his divine exchange rate, two small copper coins, means more than the wealth of a whole crowd, and that's the God we work with. We work with, you know, we, we live with, we have a relationship with. So there's one more um, principle in here I want to draw out, and it's probably a slightly scarier one, or at least it's scary for me. And I think uh, it was, starts in verse 44. It's highlighted in verse 44. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. 
And actually, for Jesus, when he's looking at this, he doesn't look at the amount of the gift. He's actually looking at the cost to the giver, which is what I find quite scary. He's not looking at the value. He's looking at the cost of the person who gave it. She gave out of her poverty. It cost her everything. How would she even eat now? In that society, if you were a widow, it's, it's kind of like, basically it means that you're on your own unless people help you. You, know, you, haven't got, you haven't got a family structure around you to support you. And so she gave away the last thing she had. How would she even do that? It was a huge cost to her. Why is cost important to, to God, the cost of the giver important? Why does Jesus highlight this as important? Well, it's because Jesus is looking for trust. Because when, something, when you step out and it costs you a lot, like with relationships, you know, I'm just going to help that person, but it's going to cost me to do that. God is, God is actually looking to see, hey, what that does when you step out with what you feel like is all you've got is it puts you back in the place of needing to trust him for your life. So you give away to the point where you're forced to, to stop relying on the things of your, own, of your own, your independence, and you're like, God, all I've got is you now. I've got to trust in you again. And actually, that's a theme that goes all the way through the gospel. Jesus said, leave everything and come and follow me. And then he said, give your life away and you'll find it. And it's this principle all the way through the Christian life of giving up the things that you can rely on in yourself and, and your independence from God so that you can just rely fully on him. And it doesn't just, it doesn't just start when you become a Christian or, or finish when you become a Christian. Like, oh, I gave my life away to Jesus. Now I'm going to walk you know, normally. It's actually every step of the way, God is going to say, hey, you're relying on this. Give it away. Or, hey, I want you to step out of the boat without all the answers without all the, the, the plan mapped out, without all the resources, without all the time, I want you to step out and follow what I'm saying and watch me bless you and let me teach you a deeper layer of I'm a good father and you can trust me. So it's all the way through the Christian walk. It's to rely on the supernatural resources of heaven rather than us. It puts us in dependence on the Father. So actually, it might be your comfort zone. It might just be stepping out of your comfort zone. You might think, this is my life, and I do this. And God is saying, I want you to step out of that and give away that comfort zone thing, that thing that you rely on, and maybe pray for someone who needs healing or share a prophetic word or, or go give groceries to someone or spend time with that person who you really don't like. <laughs> it might be giving away money to people. It might be giving away resources or um, things that you own. It might be... Um, relationships, it might just be the way you, you interact with people puts you out of being able to rely on yourself and you're saying, God, you've got to come through in this relationship. God wants to see a people who trust him every step of the way or growing in trust because if he can see that you trust him and he's like, well done, my child, you trust me in that area, he goes, I'm going to trust you with even more. And there are parables that describe this. But do you know what God can do with the people who trust him fully? He said, I'm going to trust you with changing the world around you. I'm going to trust you with seeing people's lives turn upside down, with seeing people broken from addictions, seeing people saved, seeing people set free, seeing people find hope for the first time. I'm going to trust you with these amazing people around you that I care about because you're trusting me. God loves it when we trust him. It's called faith. And as we said before, faith pleases God. And we can grow in faith. You're not just, you're given faith. You know, God gives you an amount of faith, a measure of faith. But actually, he wants to see, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to keep trusting him? And it grows. Are you going to keep trusting him? And it grows. 
Sometimes it's a painful process. Don't we want to be a church and a people that God looks down and goes, I can trust them with more. That's what we want to be. That's what we prophetically feel as a people. If you just look around now and you think, like, I love what, what I see here as a church. This is great. This is my family. God is doing things here. But this is not the end picture. And, and so many of us live with that prophetic uh, feeling that this is not the end picture. God has got much for us to do in this nation. Are we the only answer to the nation? Of course not. There are amazing churches out there that we want to partner with. Do we have an amazing part to play that's going to go down in the history books? Yes. God is looking for a people he can trust. So do you trust him with your wallet? <laughs> you trust him with your time? It's practical stuff that we're moving on, and God will say, wow, now I'm going to give you, you were, you were, you were good with 10 talents, I'm going to give you 10 cities. That's what the Father says. Isaiah 26, 3 to 4, this is one of my, like, one of my verses. It's just, you know, I think, I think I own it, basically. You can borrow it, but I own it. Not really, but I do, I read it like every week. It says this, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is a rock eternal. You will keep in perfect peace people whose minds are steadfast because they trust in God. That's what we've got. He, he is he is faithful, we can trust him, and he'll keep us in peace, even as we are stepping out of our comfort zones and doing things that are scary. Actually, that's what um, Minalina and I, that's what we're looking to do with our lives. Um, we're not always successful, but our aim is to step out of the boat in areas and see what God will do. And at the moment, we're in a bit of a season again where it's like, God, what are you saying, and how do we, how do we balance out the steps we need to take compared to what you're saying for us as a family or where we live or what we do with our money. And for us, this gift day is actually a bit of is great timing because it's like, God, we're believing for you for a lot in this area. And we feel like a good, great way to step out is, right, well, we're going to give away some of our self-reliance over here and give to the gift day and these causes as active worship because we're kind of thinking, God, we need you to speak and move in these areas. And it's not like, God, look what we did, so you'll move in our life. But it's like, God, I humbly submit to you in worship my resources and my time because I'm looking for you to do something supernatural with my life. And we're kind of right in the middle of that right now and wanting to know what's next. So obviously this is more than just about a gift day. A gift day, a gift day is a great opportunity to talk about it. It's a great opportunity just to be practical and to, to bless some really great causes. It's actually about a lifestyle. It's about a community of generous, sacrificial people whose aim it is is to show Jesus to the world by fully trusting him and then him trusting them with a whole bunch of responsibility and joy and adventure. God is looking for a people he can trust to turn the world upside down by his love and power. And I want to be that kind of person, eh? I want to be that part of that kind of church. And we are on a journey, and we'll stumble sometimes. That's okay. We're on a journey towards what God has called us to do. Would you stand with me? I'd love to pray, pray over us. Lord, I'll just encourage you just to take a moment, bring your heart before God and say, God, where are, what are you highlighting through this morning about my walk with you and my trust with you? Are there areas in my life that I need to just submit over to you? Are there past hurts that I just need to speak out some forgiveness about? I need to, to let some people go, release them the debt of unforgiveness and move on. Maybe it's that God has highlighted some areas of 
adventure and you're, you're afraid to step out because you're in your comfort zone. That could be in many areas. Well, Father, we just pray, would you, would you speak to our hearts by your Spirit, Lord Jesus? Lord, would you come and witness to our spirits that we are children of God and you are Abba, Father. You are close and intimate at the same time as being all-powerful and adventurous and in some ways scary because what you do is just beyond our wildest dreams. Father, we love you so much and we long to move on in you and be a generous people. Father, we thank you so much for the generosity we already see and it blows my mind sometimes. Thank you for the generosity we see. Thank you, Lord, I get to belong to a community where it's happening. (laughs) It's real and we pray increase it in Jesus' name. Increase it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. I feel like there might be people here who just, you still see God as stingy and you still see God as angry.